and I was talking to an athlete and they were asking my opinion about supplements. And for that individual, I said, you know, try any ones that you want, you know, of course, within reason, but any of the anti-inflammatories and whatever else is new and comes around CBD, you know, try them all. There is a placebo effect. And if you're a high level athlete, take advantage of that placebo effect for sure. Um, I don't necessarily think that they're always working on the physiological level that we think they are. Um, Mm -hmm. but when you're at that top 1%, every little bit helps for the average CrossFitter. I put myself in that, uh, that boat. I don't take any supplements and I just think that you can get a lot of what you need from your nutrition. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you guys today? Great. Great. We are joined once again by our friend E.C. Sinkowski of Optimize Me Nutrition. Yes, thank you. If you don't know who E.C. is, then um, you should ask somebody. Um, <laughs> or you should go back to the first two episodes that we've recorded with you, mm-hmm. uh, especially the first one if, you want, if we want to get a good sense of who you are, where you've come from, um, a lot of your thoughts on nutrition. Mm-hmm. But for those folks who maybe are just tuning in for the first time, uh, why don't you give us the very short version of who you are? Um, what you do and, and where you where you tend to focus your energies on. Yeah. Thank you again. And uh, EC Sinkowski, Optimize Me Nutrition. Um, you can find me at that website and also on Instagram. And I really focus... What is this Instagram you speak of? <laughs> the old gram. Um, really focus on pro- giving people the education, but more so solutions for them to reach their nutrition goals. Ebooks, courses, challenges, that type of stuff. Fantastic. And she's wicked smart. Wicked, wicked smart. smart. Yeah. She's also taller <laughs> than most people. Yes. But for real, like she's a, there's a reason that we're so excited to have her here is because in the in my sphere, she's my go-to for nutrition. Love that. Oh, cool. Thank point. you. Um, okay, so today we're going to do something fun. We did a little bit with you already uh, previously. We sort of tailored it uh, to basically just give Ben an excuse to ask you a bunch of questions. Today, though, we Ben, you did uh, reach out to listeners, ask for questions to ask EC. So what we've done is we've called through that list of questions, a lot of really good ones. Uh, and I'm just going to sort of rapid, rapid fire, mm-hmm. spit them out to both of you. Um, I know a lot of them uh, maybe uh, require the geekdom of EC, but Ben, if yeah. you have answers, uh, please chime in. I'll let her nerd out about them. And <laughs> yeah. if I have some <laughs> snide comments on the side, I'll throw my, throw my two cents in. Okay. <laughs> so uh, for those folks who are new uh, or haven't listened to a two minute drill, very simply, uh, I ask a bunch of relatively random questions to you guys and then you attempt to give a two minute or an answer within two minutes we often fail at that two minutes um but we'll see how we do today awesome first question and again these are all um random but certainly within the the world today of nutrition Mm -hmm. first one how long do you stick to a specific nutrition plan before you know whether or not you need to change it yeah four weeks but consistent with it, mm-hmm. um, really consistent with it. I think that's the the key part is it can't be Monday through Friday on and then off on the weekends. Four weeks, yeah. And is that uh, just a, you feel like it's working, you feel like it's done, or do you would you also recommend somebody have a, a measurement or a metric of some kind to 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 make that decision? Hopefully a metric for sure. But some of the things that when you're looking at with like health conditions, you do go on feel or more kind of subjective things like bloating or mood or clarity. Gotcha. Do you have any? Uh, I, I like the answer. I think that it uh, depends a little bit on shocker depends. Yeah. Uh, but if, if it's a, it's if the person is severely overweight, let's say this is a 300 pound individual, 
I don't want them waiting four weeks to to see a pound drop on the scale. Yeah. If that's not moving um, relatively quickly in a matter of probably three, four, five, for sure a week, if they haven't dropped a few pounds, then it's probably not the right move for them. Gotcha. Yeah. Second question. What is better when you failed to prepare not to eat or to eat unhealthy? And it's a little bit of a harken back to a previous episode that we've done before where you've talked about, um, I think it was just a challenge you you, you mm. had for yourself where if you found yourself mm. in a place and you were hungry, uh, but you didn't, you didn't bring food or there wasn't good food options, you just simply decided not to eat. So I think yep. that that's what mm. that is referencing. So I'm curious mm. what you yeah. uh, both think so about So we threw that. out my answer. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. No, and I do like that answer. I mean, with the assumption that this is happening more sporadically and this isn't like every day, like, oh shoot, I don't have anything to eat and so we're just not eating. Damn it, I forgot <laughs> to bring food again. Looks like I don't get to eat right. for the fourth day in a row. Yeah, like assuming, you know, yeah. we're within this, this is more of a sporadic thing. I, I like Ben's approach of just skipping the meal if it's really... The option of that or, or donut. Um, I think we can all think of the times when we've definitely had too much to eat. So it's okay to also go through a period where you have a little bit less to eat. You'll be okay. I remember Pat Sherwood once early days in CrossFit saying some version of, you know, if there isn't a point during the day that you're hungry, right. you're probably fat. Yeah. You're probably <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. am- so passionate. That's I didn't amazing. think it was going to end with oh that my word. God, not okay. either, either. That's amazing. Okay. I may have, I may have paraphrased, um, but probably not. Uh, what gut gut microbiome tests are worth doing? And mm. I don't. I, what are what sort of is the landscape? Even are mm. there that many to choose from? And are they that different? Is maybe a, a yeah. I mean, I think the the landscape is growing quite rapidly. It's definitely an area. So I'm sure I don't know all of them. Popular ones are going to be um, from Genova. They do a stool profile, um, GI map, I think it's diagnostic solutions, and then Ubiome. And they're all at-home kits where essentially you send a stool sample back for them to analyze. And um, poop on a piece of paper (laughs) and scoop it out with a tiny little plastic spoon and ship your poop. Okay. So those are the details. So... so are they? So all of those are reputable. So in terms of results, they're all reputable, and they kind of have different slants on them. Um, I think, for example, Ubiome, and I don't, I don't exactly know, but they might not have as much in terms of the analysis or the user interface to interpret the results. This is at least a year ago, so they've yeah. probably changed. But then, like GI Map focuses more on pathogens. Genova is more kind of known as the standard, um, comprehensive one. So they're all good and reputable for sure. But then it comes back to why are you doing it and. This is going to go longer than two minutes, but I do, but I do kind of want to go down this rabbit hole. So when I was starting my uh, like kind of masters in nutrition, um, I went down the rabbit hole, kind of hunting, because I wanted to learn all the procedures. And I I worked with a naturopath, and I did all these tests, and I did one of these um, profiles, and we found potential pathogen, and I did all these supplement protocols, and nothing changed. And it turns out that the path a, a pathogen that is actually kind of controversial, and it's really unknown of whether or not it's harmful or fine. And so the whole point of this, that whole kind of story is like, yeah, those are all reputable ones to do, but why are you doing it? Is there a really clinical reason for doing it? And mm-hmm. then are you working with a practitioner who can help you in that case? Gotcha. Have you had any experience with I have, I've done yet? I've done three of them. I mean, you yeah. seem to because oh, you know yeah, about all the, yeah, the poop I, scooping. I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, poop a scoop, uh, scoop a poop. Do you remember the brand? Uh, Viome. Oh, okay. Um, was the one that seemed to be the most uh, a- a- exhaustive okay. and reputable. Okay. Um, there's another one called Day Two, um, which I it, it there I tried them probably a year and a half ago, and they were way too early. Mm, okay. Um, 
And I can't remember what the third one was, um, okay. but of those, Viome seemed to give you yeah. the, and the, the user experience was mm -hmm. fairly good. The app was really well developed and the recommendations were fairly solid. I see. Um, but again, cool. I would agree with you as well. When I first tried mm -hmm. it, um, I liked the recommendations. I saw good, good, good results from the small changes I made. Um, but then it kind of like, uh, it kind of, it was hard to um, buy into the changes that they were suggesting. So mm -hmm. they would suggest changes along the way. And it's, I'd make the changes I wouldn't see as good mm -hmm. results. It was, um, which made me not as excited. Do they do, because they do food recommendations yeah. in addition. Yeah. And I think that's where some of the, some of the testing's a little bit interesting. Um, yeah, I've heard. Yeah. So, Yeah. Where the, you're, basically you're saying the science isn't there yet to quite go as far as to give food recommendations. Yeah. I mean, my understanding of the food sensitivity tests and, um, you know, you can actually show that you have an immune response to something, but your immune response is responding to things all the time because it's basically screening everything you eat and establishing if there's a, a problem or not. And so a lot of times people take these tests, and I don't know specifically about that one, but a lot of times people take these tests and they end up being positive for foods that they eat a lot. And they're like, oh my gosh, well, I just had avocado and I'm sensitive to avocado. And it's because, yes, your immune system's responding to avocado. That doesn't mean it's responding mm. negatively. Mm. Next question. Um, what is the FODMAP diet? I don't know mm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, mm. What is the FODMAP diet and should I do it? FODMAP is short for um, a lot of different types of carbohydrates like fructo, oglio, disaccharide, monosaccharide, and polyols. I think I got them. Um, and some people find that when they cut out higher FODMAP foods, they have their symptoms alleviated. And typically where they're, I think, if I'm getting my research right, the, the strongest is for people that have IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, which is actually, I think, the most diagnosed gastrointestinal So what, what are some disorder. examples of high, high FODMAP foods? So things high in fructose, like uh, mango and cherries, um, things like that. I'm not going to get all of the different yeah. uh, compounds. Um, but yeah, and, uh, what is that institute? The Monarch Institute. They probably have the most extensive research and recommendations on their website about what are the foods and, and how to go about kind of limiting that. But again, um, I wouldn't encourage people to start eliminating in the absence of real symptoms. Do you find more value in university-taught nutrition as opposed to certifications like precision nutrition? And it might be worth contextualizing your own experience mm -hmm. uh, within education so that people understand where you're yeah. coming from. Yeah, I mean, I finished um, this master's degree at University of Western States, and it was in nutrition and functional medicine. And um, I also have done the precision nutrition at least very early on in Berardi. So I, I don't know exactly if it's changed, but I really enjoyed that course. And the answer is, it, de it depends what you want to do. You know, um, if you want to have, um, you know, if you want to talk to people about food sensitivities and lab tests surrounding that and, you know, immune response, then you're going to need the work to be able to do that. And you're going to need to be able to look at the literature and interpret that. And so that would require something a little bit more in depth. I'm not saying you can't do it without a degree, but um, that's typically what you're not going to get at a shorter um, certification or course. Mm -hmm. um, if you're somebody who's doing more health coaching, where it's really just getting people, and I don't want to say just because it's a huge service, but getting people to eat more fruits and vegetables and not too much, you know, really understanding some of the basics around macronutrients and micronutrients, um, you know, can get you there. But you just have to be careful what your scope is. To eat either of them, or I'm, I'm kind of guessing that uh, the precision would kind of weigh more in towards the psychology of eating as well and how to work with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis and the dynamics of a mm -hmm. relationship building and mm -hmm. trust and follow through and compliance and all that. Or yeah. they touch on that in university settings They did. As well? I mean, we definitely worked on motivational oh, interviewing yeah. oh, um, because that's a huge part of it. Um, 
And again, I haven't taken precision recently, but I do remember Berardi really having a good amount of that, which is great because that's what yeah. it comes down to a lot with the health coaching yeah. for sure. But I, I do see that in the nutrition space, like just be aware of what your scope is and what you really have the experience to be talking about or two with people. Yeah. Um, ben, I want to twist the question just a little bit for you. Uh, do you, would you recommend that CrossFit coaches, CrossFit gym owners spend the time necessary to, t- to take a, whether it's precision nutrition or another um, nutrition certificate course, is that, is that valuable to CrossFit coaches or do you feel like that's a little bit outside the scope of what they should be spending their time and energies on? Yes. <laughs> All uh, of the above. Uh, but truly, I believe that um, if you kind of left something, um, they should be spending their time becoming educated on nutrition. Nutrition is the foundation of what we're trying to achieve with our athletes. We're trying to create better health, fitness, um, capacity, whatever you want to kind of fill in the blank there, yeah. aesthetics. Um, it is going to be the most important thing. What you do in the gym is not it's going to pale in comparison to what you do in the kitchen. You don't need to go to a university. You don't need to even do a uh, course to do that. Read books, listen to podcasts, listen to EC. She has courses. Like you can educate yourself in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You don't need the the initials after your name to be justified and be able to talk to people about nutrition. Of all the diet trends out there, is there one that you can stand by? Yeah, anything that gets people... Uh, eating more whole unprocessed foods and not too much. Um, and of course that kind of depends and how people apply different things, but that's really the end goal. And that's where we see similarities to a lot of these trends. Um, I do think the 800 gram challenge is a great place to be. It kind of gets at those two goals, um, pretty well with also allowing people some flexibility to stay sane in their diet. We did talk about the 800 gram challenge in the first time uh, you were here, but maybe it's worth for those folks, maybe who didn't tune into that. What is the 800 gram challenge? Uh, briefly, sure. and maybe where can somebody learn more information about that if they're interested? Yeah, it's to eat 800 grams by weight of fruits and vegetables each day. And then there's no other rules. You continue to eat whatever else you want in addition to hitting that target. And there's more info at optimizemenutrition.com. Good, good. Ben, do you have an answer to that? Of all the diet trends out there, is there one that you can stand by? I, I, would, I don't think any one of the diet trends can live on its own. I think if you combine some of these things, they do fairly well. So macros do a great job of keeping people in check with their their quantity and taking calories and protein, carbs, and fats. Paleo does a great job of making sure that people are eating whole unprocessed foods. So you combine those two and you have a pretty potent recipe. But one thing by themselves, like keto or intermittent fasting or zone, like none of the things by themselves really paint the whole picture. Um, I I like what EC is talking about in terms of what the 800-gram challenge is. 800 grams, so weigh in measure quantity of whole unprocessed fruits and vegetables. So now we have the quality side of it as well. You know, it's the same thing as like the 100 words of fitness, right? It's like the first two sentences are exactly that. It's eat meat, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. Keep intake levels to that which support body fat. Um, That would be awesome. (laughs) It would support exercise, not body fat. So it's like that is the magic combination. So whatever you can find that fits that we're in the ballpark. Got it. My three-year-old struggles to eat healthy. Do you have any recommendations? Ben. (laughs) 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 Um, I don't have a three-year-old, but what I would say before I turn it over, Ben, because he'll have more practical uh, answers is, you got to kind of go with, I think, what they like. You know, if they really like strawberries and you'd love for them to eat kale, well, today's not the kale day. Today's the strawberry day. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's actually a pretty darn good start. So yes. kudos to you for not. <laughs> yeah. Um, first off, it's hard. It's really hard, and I think it's uh, very kid dependent. Um, we have two young kids right now. We have a, a, a six year old and a four year old. Um, four year old's not a challenge at all. Six year old is. Mm. So it's very kid dependent. Um, what we've seen define really well is one thing I talk a lot about is environment. Mm. Like uh, if you want your kid to eat well, don't have bad crap in the house. Yeah. The worst thing that we have available is rice cakes. So that's their treat. Like and they they love they yeah. like they'll do a lot of things for a rice cake. <laughs> and it's like it's like their little candy. It's their yeah. little treat. But if we have ice cream, cookies, and snack wells, and chips, and it's gonna be it's a a constant battle, a constant fight. From there, we found like happy mediums. So kind of what EC was talking about. Um, would we love our kids just to eat like, you know, the whole unprocessed foods? Yes. The closest we're going to get to that to get our, our six-year-old protein is egg sandwiches. So we ha- we do mm-hmm. eggs on English muffins. Mm-hmm. And we do that with um, a bunch of uh, cut up fruit. And that's their dinner. That's his dinner probably uh, five, if not six nights a week. Yeah. Um and that works really well. So like that's the staple. And then from there, anything else is a bonus. Mm-hmm. My kids loves uh, my kid loves Cookie Monster. How old? He's two. He just turned okay. two, and he just had cookies for the first time. And now oh, he no. just yells cookies. Yeah. There's no there's no more cookies. He yeah. just yells cookies. <laughs> uh, okay, top supplement for an average CrossFitter. None. Uh, yeah, keep the diet quality high and rotate all your sources. Um, can I go into my? Non-average CrossFitter answer? Yeah. So I was, we were talk, chit-chatting about this before we started, but... By non-average, you mean like beginner or do you mean by ad, like advanced? Advanced. Yeah, we're okay. talking about a games athlete. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to an athlete and they were asking my opinion about supplements. And for that individual, I said, you know, try any ones that you want. You know, of course, within reason, but any of the anti-inflammatories and whatever else is new and comes around CBD, you know, try them all. There is a placebo effect. And if you're a high-level athlete, take advantage of that placebo effect for sure. Um, I don't necessarily think that they're always working on the physiological level that we think they are. Um, mm-hmm. but when you're at that top 1%, every little bit helps for the average CrossFitter. I put myself in that, uh, that boat. I don't take any supplements and I just think that you can get a lot of what you need from your nutrition. I agree with that. Excellent. Does the amount of recommended carbs differ between men and women? Yeah. It, it can, and, it, and it's more because of just need and women tend to be smaller. Um, so that's typically where you see it, but it really comes down to activity and volume more so than necessarily men versus women. But it, uh, but the 800 gram challenge is not men and women no. differentiated, right? No, it's- no. And people will ask me that. Um, remember that number actually came out of 95 different studies. Um, and when I first had the idea, I made sure Nicole Christensen at CrossFit Roots did it because I was worried that at six feet tall, that maybe <laughs> I thought it was easy, but a normal person <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't think it was so easy. But then I remember she did it, of course, and yeah. it was fine. But it's also like this is a, a large population that we're looking at are larger. So it's definitely not just because I'm a larger person. It's easy enough or something right. like that. Right. Do you have an answer to yeah, that? It's, uh, to me, it's not a male-female thing. It's a body size and activity level. Yeah. So just in general, females tend to be smaller, and that's the reason why. Yep. Yeah. Got it. How do eating needs change when going through menopause? Yeah. Okay, so t- first of all, just aging, not men or women, we have the decrease in kind of metabolic rate. So there's just that issue. Um, 
resting metabolic rate. And then women also tend to, again, have less muscle mass than men. So it's kind of a double negative there as you're aging. Um, also with the decrease in estrogen, there starts to be some glucose, I think, regulation issues as well. So this can be hard to keep some of that weight off. So all of that combined, um, generally as you age for a female going a little bit lower carb and making sure that you keep strength training in are definitely things that you want to really promote higher, higher protein. I'm saying that in quotes, cause it doesn't like, you don't need to go bodybuilding style here, but higher protein, making sure you're doing regular resistance training and potentially a little bit lower carb. Mm. Been any, any answers? No. <laughs> That's. It. I don't know anything about that. Uh, next question. <coughs> Excuse me. Are uh, are turmeric, 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 uh, or other anti-inflammatory foods worth paying attention to? Yes. Um, yeah, a lot of our fruits and vegetables, especially, but, um, have anti-inflammatories in them. You'll hear a lot of times about superfoods and blueberries and kale. Um, but it's not limited to those two. Any of these things with, that are colored have some of these compounds in them. And so yes, pay attention to them and make them a regular part of your diet. Are there other, um, so like turmeric is a really popular one and, um, turmeric yeah. is in everything from like creams to drinks, but, um, and obviously like capsules and supplements. Yeah. Is there different um, potencies mm -hmm. or is there different um, – do you have to get a certain amount for it to be actually effective? Because I know there's like – you'll see like a, a, a kombucha that has turmeric in it. Like am I, am I going to be like anti-inflamed <laughs> if I have that kombucha or do I need to like eat a whole like finger size root of right. this thing to get it? Yeah. And it's difficult when you start looking at the whole food form because the concentrations are going to vary based on a whole host of growing conditions. So that's why when you start going to supplements, you can regulate the dose a little bit more. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I, oftentimes I think around two grams or so of, you know, concentrate, concentrated turmeric. Also when you're in a supplement form and for a therapeutic dose, um, I, the research I think shows that when it's combined with pepper makes it um, huh. more active. Now, where was I going with that? Ah, all the turmeric drinks and supplements, et cetera. If the rest of your diet isn't good, that supplement's not going to do anything, right? So you can do your turmeric latte, but if the rest of the diet's kind of processed and burgers, it's it just gets in the wash. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like no people sense, are having yeah. like, like Metrex protein bars, mm -hmm. but they like, they just like don't work out. Right. Right. <laughs> and they're like, I'm going to get huge. Cause I'm eating this protein bar. It's like, no, it's not the way it works. Yeah. I mean, so if I eat bad food, but I have that, it's not going to counterbalance it. No. I mean, yeah. I think we used to say at the seminars, you know, we can't fish oil our way out of a bad diet. You can't turmeric your way out of a bad diet. Uh, are there foods that are good for adults that aren't good for kids? I think any of the things that would have potentially a, a drug-like response, right? Caffeine, um, alcohol obviously come to mind. Alcohol is bad for kids. Right. Interesting. <laughs> you have a I was like, did I say the you? opposite? Yeah. <laughs> when you no, first no, no, said no. that, I was like, did I say that? That was wrong? a joke. Um, I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the only other thing I would kind of make a difference, because I really don't think there are, and maybe I'm forgetting something that you'll fix me on here, but... Um, you know, especially when kids are developing, that would be the best time to give them the widest array of nutrients as possible within the context of picky children. <laughs> no, I, I, um, we've talked about this before. I think that kids should be eating the same way as adults do. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there is kids menus, um, that there is these, this whole aisle in the grocery store dedicated to kids nutrition, um, is just a farce. Yeah. You know, I think that it's, uh, food is food and it's not, uh, dependent on your age. And all of a sudden now, now you're 19, so you don't order off the kitty menu. 
similar question, a little bit different. Uh, what food would you recommend for active teenagers? Yeah, I mean, it's, of course, going to be the same thing. I think a little bit for them, um, again, from my parenting experience, <laughs> no, but I would imagine having some really cut up convenient stuff ready to go for mm. them is going to be key. You know, they're not going to necessarily come home and start like, I don't know, grilling the meat or whatever it is. So having things that are snackable, but are, you know, either rolled up turkey slices with some fruits and vegetables, just easy, I think would be a great idea. Yeah. I think that's exactly where I would go is take the same food that you do, but obviously have it ready to go and super easy and convenient because, um, they don't have the attention span nor the will or if there's an easier option, they're going to go for the easier option. Right. Yeah, for sure. Ideal nutrition for breastfeeding moms who do CrossFit CrossFit. Yeah. Um, first of all, just make sure you have enough calories for, uh, the supply. Um, you definitely don't want to be worrying about, you know, your body composition at that time. Um, so eating enough to support CrossFit as well as breastfeeding. And then, yeah, it's gotta be a high quality diet. And this partially goes back to the gut microbiota because we know that breast milk has so much of that, um, beneficial side from the immune system is, is not just when you're breastfeeding, but even during pregnancy, good amount of fiber, good amount of polyphenol so that your microbiota is in a really good, good spot. Got it. Do you have any answers? Uh, the only thing I would say is my experience is, is through Heather and yeah. through her pregnancies. Yeah. Um, and it, um, I feel very lucky that she, she took it. Um, you know, I understand that it's different. Everyone has different pregnancies and some people have crazy cravings and they have a hard time sticking to a healthy diet. Um, Heather, regardless of those cravings, was like, this is the one time I really have yeah, full, sure. total control over what my baby is eating. Once they're born, they're going to have their own wants and needs. This is my one time to make a healthy baby. And she ate at the cleanest that she's ever eaten in her whole life during those, the, yeah. you know, that first, the pregnancy through breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would take, I think there's an onus on yeah. the responsibility of the mother to, I don't know what the answers are other than like normal healthy eating that we prescribe all yeah. the time um there maybe there are some nuancy things that actually go into actually the breastfeeding time which i'm unaware of um but it's just a matter of that time matters and matters a lot yeah yeah, yeah. she was she was dialed yes um those are the questions from listeners i want to add one more just because it popped in my head as you were as you were talking um because of your uh experience in education in functional medicine mm-hmm. what is functional medicine yeah. and is mm-hmm. it called functional medicine because it is uh there's the implication that other medicine is somehow dysfunctional. Yeah, dis is better, <laughs> probably than non-functional. Yeah, so functional medicine is the idea that you're going to find the root cause of the disease or the or the problem versus necessarily masking it. And you know, you can take the type two diabetes example. One masking it in more conventional medicine might be to take um, metformin, which can help regulate glucose. And then another more functional medicine approach might be to reverse it with a keto diet. Um, and so that's the idea is to try to end the disease versus just mitigate the disease. Um, so you could say that, yeah, there's, there's parts of our conventional medicine system that I guess are dysfunctional because they might not always take that approach. Um, I do think there has been a little bit of too much of a backlash in conventional medicine. I mean, we have to remember that, uh, the doctors in conventional medicine have gone to med school. They have done four years of residency. They have a lot of clinical training. They've looked at a lot of lab results. Um, and so sometimes I think that gets discounted as though anything natural is always better. And that's not the case either. So I think ultimately there could be a great kind of synergism between the two of, Hey, let's really use what we can when we can, that's natural and healthy and also Mm -hmm. recognize the power of, you know, more modern medicine, if you will. 
Great. Yeah, I, would, uh, um, I, I think that I love what you said there about um, the, kind of the marriage of the two. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm looking to optimize my health, mm-hmm. I'm, I want to go see a functional medicine practitioner because they'll look at this as more as a um, try to figure out the root cause. But if I get um, hit by a bus, right. like don't take me to the person that's going to like do acupuncture. Right. Like I want to like go to like somebody that can do trauma work on me right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I The analogy that stuck with me really well when I, I first kind of um, found out about functional medicine is um, if you're walking around with a pebble in your shoe and it's causing you a lot of pain and discomfort, traditional medicine goes like, well, here's an ibuprofen. Like here's an Advil, <laughs> take that, it'll help the pain go away. Whereas a functional medicine person goes like, well, let's look in your shoe. Ah, there's a pebble. Let's take the pebble out. It's like yeah. they look at the root causes. So you have eczema instead of like looking and be like, okay, here's a, a cream for this mm-hmm. eczema. They'll look at the deeper dive into like what's your diet like, what's your lifestyle like, what's your, you know, g- your genetics and mm-hmm. so on. Yeah. And I just, I still though would want to wrap that up with this sort of like re- we have to remember that not everything natural is always okay either, right? Like it's okay if sometimes we use modern medicine because mm-hmm. there are some things that even aren't necessarily the amputee, or not the amputation or a bus injury or something like that that's yeah. so drastic. There can be other things that are okay to take medicine for, for sure. And and just to kind of go on that, because I feel like functional medicine is quite in the limelight right now. So my master's capstone paper was on probiotics and its effect on rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease. And... I, you know, in my mind, when I started that, I was like, oh yeah, probiotics. I mean, they modulate the immune system. We're going to reverse autoimmunity. And this is te- totally going to be the way that we can treat rheumatoid arthritis. And no, and <sighs> according to the research, at least through December of 2017 that I found, um, no, they definitely had looked at probiotics, but nothing, something started to change some inflammatory marker signaling, but nothing changed the clinical experience or the, um, the clinical effect. And rheumatoid arthritis is very debilitating. People's joints are destroyed because of it. And it's like, the last thing I would want is somebody who has that to think, well, I'm just going to do it the natural way. And then 15 years later have destroyed joints because the science is not there yet. And so that's kind of where I want to caution people a little bit with this whole natural is always better idea. Got it. Um, thank that you. That wasn't every- two minutes. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. yeah. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. We will do that again soon because the questions we get are always so good. EC, thank you so much. Where can people find more about you, about your what you're doing with um, Optimize Me and all that good stuff? Yeah, just the website, OptimizeMeNutrition.com and same handle on Instagram. Thank right. you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, EC. Thanks. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.